It's Jen the Builder. And Corey. And we are on Take the Elevator, and we are coming to an end almost for our Autism Acceptance Month. And what a month it's been. It's been such a learning experience for us. And Stephen, you are on the line with us. Before we go there, let me introduce who you guys can expect to hear, because right now we are working as a quad and I'm excited about the quad squad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's done it. She's already done I'm it. I'm already there. So, of course, you've got Corey and I. Steven is here. Good morning. Jessica is here Good as morning. well. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so excited to have you guys. It's going to be interesting to see how this orchestrates, how it plays out. So right now, listeners, if you hear some talking over each other, it's all right. That's how people have conversations. When are conversations really scripted? At least they shouldn't be. That's not how we do it here. So we're just here to talk, to learn from each other, um, to share some experiences. So I am really, really grateful, first of all, to have Yessie and Stephen here. Hey, Jen, can you do me a favor? Can you kind of give us a little bit of background on how you know Jessica and how this relationship came about? Just so everyone can understand. We can just call some <laughs> random person and say, hey, would you like to do this? <laughs> right. Oh, I'm random. I'm random. <laughs> <laughs> so best friends with her sister, Shauna Lee. Okay. Growing up, we grew up in church together. Yes, yeah, see, I don't even know the age difference between us, but you and I were never like in youth group together. I just knew, yes, see, Sean's little sister. And at our age, growing up, we were like, oh, we're too good for our little sisters. I really hope, yes, see, that in no way was I ever mean to you. And if I was, I'm sorry. No, no, never. And, and the age difference between me and my older sister is about seven years. I never felt that you were mean. I don't think that anyone was mean. You guys are actually really, really kind. I just wasn't part of the in crowd. I was never one of the cool kids. And that's okay, too, because it allowed me the space to figure out who I am without trying to mimic my sister too closely because she was very, very aggressively pushing me away from that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are always amazing to me. Aw, thanks. Yeah, that's how I know Yessie. She was the best friend's little sister. And so here we are, fast forward to today, and so social media, I appreciate because of things like this, I've been able to be friends with Yessie on Facebook. I've followed her work, amazing work. We're going to have her introduce herself in a few minutes here and talk about what she's done, what her spot is in this life, what moves her, what makes her uniquely her. I am a big fan of her gift of words. I read her stuff and it just speaks to me each and every time because she's just wise. She is able to formulate these sentences that just speak to who she is. That's wonderful. And so before we move on, I just also want to uh, mention Stephen. Stephen is one of those kind of guys who doesn't like to talk about himself. Right. But I hope he doesn't mind about being talked about and just enjoy me saying what I know about Stephen. Stephen is a very creative individual, number one, a very intelligent person mm -hmm. and a man with, a, with his head on straight. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, what I'm saying is that he knows how to accomplish what his, his goals are all about. And he's very effective at what he does. I appreciate his personality and his character, and he seems to stand on some very strong morals. So that's some good qualities for a person. And so I'm just hoping that you just get to enjoy Stephen as much as we get to enjoy him as well. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. So let's start. Yesi, tell us about yourself. Okay. In 2019, I decided that I was comfortable in my workplace. I needed a challenge. So I became a self-published author. And I did it twice that year. I, I first wrote my memoirs. It was incredible because it took about a month, start to finish, while I was still working, still taking care of the kids, still golfing with my cousin, and checking with my parents to make sure they had what they needed. I wrote a book. And then I spent the time editing, and um, I had someone else design the cover, but everything else I'd done myself. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the photography, because I can't take amazing selfies that are that good. <laughs> He's a professional <laughs> photographer. And then later on in the year, um, I was having this moment and I was asking my boss for a promotion. I wanted a promotion. He gave me a raise instead. And I was like, no, I need a promotion. And in that moment, I realized that titles are what we give them. And I didn't have to be whatever he wanted to call me. I'm an author. I can do that again. Right. <laughs> so I wrote a second book. I, I'm, I'm that person. You know, give me give me something that I can't do. And I'm going to say, no, I really can. <laughs> when I was laid off with the pandemic, I had this moment of, I'm not this person anymore. And then realized I didn't have to be. And I started my own LLC in August. I'm not doing a whole lot just now. <laughs> I'm a CEO. Titles mean nothing. <laughs> that being said, um, the memoirs, they're my life story. They will go into childhood sexual abuse, go into depression and suicide attempts. It will go into abusive relationships. And being a mom, graced with the ability to raise incredible young men who are also autistic. Two of them are, not the third, but that comes with a whole set of other challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, my my youngest child is emotional, sweet, kind. She's also queer, and that is new for me, And as in last year. And it's not a bad thing. And, and that's, that's my goal at the end of the day, is that my children feel safe and are able to thrive and grow in our home. And I'm meeting that goal. There are things that, that I could exceed on, but I'm not there yet. In fact, okay. But when it comes to them saying, Mom, this is my emotional need, I'm meeting that goal because they are. When my son says, Mom, I need to start seeing a therapist again, that to me is, um, I'm doing okay. Yeah. So I'm redirecting my career as of this moment. As a athlete, I just got my um, insurance license back to active, and I will start selling insurance in the next couple of weeks. Because I like to help people, and that just feels better. I know. I like to be home alone. I like to be home with my kids. I like to play in the garden. Um, I'm a crazy plant lady. Mm-hmm. I like words. So that's me. And we love who you are, Yessie. Uh, the things that speak to me about everything that's you is your desire to help people. And I love that your son and you have that relationship where he can say, hey, I need some help in this area. That is so critical and so key. And it's really telling of who you are as a mom that your kids are comfortable to go to you with things like, I'm queer and I need to figure out how to maneuver this. And it's a new experience for you. And so I know you're going to have a lot to share with us, being that two out of your three children have autism. So I'd love to delve deeper into that in just a few minutes, if that's okay. Thank you, Yessie, for sharing and already just opening up. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and come back. And we're actually going to forego our Would You Rather. On Monday, we talked about our favorite hangouts. So let's just share some of that stuff when we get back from break. Mr. Camp, let's start with you. What do you guys like to do 
you and the family? Well, you know, I love drama. I don't love my <laughs> own drama, but so I will binge watch all of the Real Housewife franchise because I just can't get enough of the drama, the <laughs> gossip. But then I like to keep it at bay. And so when I can control it, so I will watch episodes. So I binge watch TV. That's how I hang out to unwind. When you say binge watch, I will spend the whole weekend just glued. If it's really good and you've got series and episodes on top of each other, it's a mess for me. It's dangerous territory. You don't have to wait for the next week for the next episode. So when you have all of those episodes at your disposal, I go on vacation just to binge watch. (laughs) And so I'll I'll lay on the couch on vacation just watching TV. That's my ideal vacation, doing nothing. Love it. Love it. Yessi, what about you? Give us some good ideas for a good hangout. My personal line is um, in the backyard. I've got lanterns and veils that are kind of hanging out. A lot of my Instagram selfies are me lounging in my hammock, looking at myself or at the little animals that I have scattering around the yard. I'm so jealous of the fact that you have a green thumb. Earth Day is sometime this week, and I really do love the Earth. The 22nd. Yeah, right, the 22nd. <laughs> and I just want the Earth to love me back just a little bit. You gave me a good tip, and I want to share this. You talked about water. Like, if you feel any kind of moisture, don't water it. And I overfeed my plants, so clearly I have a problem with overfeeding in general. (laughs) Thanks for the tip. (laughs) Absolutely. The plants thrive on neglect. Yes, you want to make sure they have what they need, but not more than they need. And I think that's the same for kids. You you give them what they need, but not more than they need. You allow them to figure it out. Um, You support them when they need it. You just need to be present. We'll talk more about that in just a second. All right, Essie, we're going to start with you. You mentioned that you had three children and two of them have been diagnosed with autism. Can you tell us about what that was like being a younger parent and this is the news that you've received? What's going on in your mind? What does that look like? Um, that was a rough day because it was I was blindsided. I took my son in for an assessment with the school district for speech delays. <laughs> and I was just trying to get him speech therapy. We had the assessment, and they said, come back in an hour and a half or three hours for the IEP. So I did. We were sitting there with my son, both my two younger ones, because I didn't have my youngest at that time, my ex-husband. And they were going over what this was, and they said, essentially, we decided, you know, your son has autism. We, from our assessment, this is what we concluded. I said, oh, my little one does the exact same thing. What are you talking about? This is normal. And they said, in their professional opinion, he was also on the spectrum. And at the time, they were using phrases like moderate, mild, severe. Now I've learned that those terms mean nothing. You're autistic or you're not autistic. It's black and white. My kids don't speak up for themselves a lot, but I've learned to listen to autistic voices, actual autistic people that are adults and speaking on behalf of the younger selves and, and the entire community. And I've, I'm learning different. I'm still learning differently. So because my youngest was not old enough for an official diagnosis, that didn't come until a couple of years later because the behaviors of a child under three 
is very much like the behaviors of an autistic person. You can't differentiate before then, so you don't get the diagnosis before then. I had moments of shock, moments of what is this? And I remember this moment of relief because now I had a name to deal with the situation we're facing. There was a moment of, quite honestly, at first I was like, oh my gosh, all my clients for my child are now strapped. And then there was this moment of clarity of that just means he gets to help me figure out what we're going to do. Because it was a lot of expectation that I had set of what I wanted my child to do. And a lot of reteaching me that, no, it's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about what I look about, look at or what I look like. It's more, how can I support my child to be safe in this world? How can I support my child? And we're going back to these IEP meetings. And these teachers are saying this, that, and the other thing about my kid. You have to be really careful to listen and pay attention. Are they talking about your kid? Or are they copying and pasting? I literally had an IEP where they copy and pasted his assessment from previous years. And I said, that's not my child anymore, mm. quite honestly. Initially, it was rough. And then I started joining these parent groups where it became this dumping ground of, I can't believe my child has done this in my life. And then I decided I don't need to be part of this group. <laughs> and stepping back allowed me to focus on my kids. Stepping back allowed me to... And I won't say this as easy, it wasn't. There are times that I was falling apart and I am currently trying to undo the damage I did to my children when they were younger mm. because I did not handle it well. But I have learned, and they're learning with me, how to give them voice, how to allow them and their bodies to react as strongly they need to so that I can support them instead of teaching them to match those behaviors and silence that inner voice. I'd like to jump in here because I wanted to bring Stephen into the the play as well. Stephen, hearing what Yessi has uh, just told us, how often have you heard this this story and in this style where the parent is uh, feeling these type of feelings and then trying to figure out how to go about navigating further into their future with their children? Well, I think sometimes when the parents get the initial diagnosis, it, it, it's the grieving process because every plan, every expectation that you had for your child is now like shattered mm. to say. And so I, I know, you know, a few weeks ago I shared with Jen, there's a, a poem, it's called Welcome to Holland. And it's like, you plan this trip, you plan, you learn the language, you make the itinerary to do all of these things. And then you, you wake up and you're somewhere else, right? So you get off the plane and you're in a completely different country. You don't know the language. You don't know how to navigate the system. And so, of course, you know, the stages of grief is you're in denial and you're angry, right? And then you're empowered because you're like, I'm going to I'm gonna help and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that my child has what they need to be successful and to be independent and to be able to advocate for themselves because they're going to be here long after we are, right? So we have to make sure that they are equipped with everything that they need. So, so yeah, it, it's a common story that I hear and I you know, I sympathize with it and I hear it time and time again. And my thing is, I just want to be a resource to the parent. I want to teach them how to navigate the system of the regional centers, the school districts, the health plan, and to really equip them with what they need to do to help their kids. Awesome. And I just want the listeners to know this. First, let's let's establish something. We're going to throw the word normal out the window. Yeah. I don't even want to deal with that phrase right now. What I want to say is I'm asking these questions not just for my own information or just because I, I want to know. I'm asking these questions because I get it. 
there's going to be many, many more parents that have these situations come up where their child is diagnosed and they have no clue what to do. They have no understanding of this. And so if by chance you've listened to this podcast or you've heard about this podcast and you can go back and listen to it, this is the the thing that we need to do. We need to help each other. We need to educate one another and assist each other in these type of situations. So that's why I'm asking these questions. And I know I have two very knowledgeable people at my fingertips right now, and I want to utilize every possible resource when speaking about this. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, see, something that you said that spoke to me as a parent and as a mom who's made so many mistakes, you know, with your kids. And I really appreciate your mindset in acknowledging that there might have been damage done as humans were flawed and our reactions aren't always the best. And so here you are today and you're making up for that. What are some things that you did that you felt like, man, if I could do it again, I might, I, I would have changed that. And how do we as parents make up for damage that we might've caused on our kids? I, I gave you an example. I gave just, yes, I learned from just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, my 14 year old had been asking me to get, energy drink and it wasn't the right thing to say but I said sweetie when your voice drops we can revisit this conversation I'm just not ready for him to have that much caffeine the way I put that was probably not the best way to say it mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very immature of me there are things throughout their lives that I've had to redo for example teaching them that what mom says is golden because it's golden mm-hmm. that's something that I have been actively working to unlearn as a family that no, I'm asking you because your opinion matters. Your opinion will affect what decisions I make. And so I need to hear what you think, not what you think I need to hear. Teaching them to own their voice, teaching them agency is something that has been really hard because when they're young, they're taught to, and this is children all over, not just children on the spectrum, but they're taught to do what they're told to do, which means they're not given the ability to speak for themselves. And that's something that, that is, intrinsically ingrained in who they are. It's in the fabric that makes up who my child is. And I've got to unweave that fabric. I've got to teach them that know what they say matters. And it, it comes down to simple things like teaching them to set their boundaries. And when I'm saying this, it's simple. Like, I don't just walk into my kid's room. I knock on their door and I wait for their okay before I walk in. I say, son, are you ready to talk to this? Is this too much? Do you need to step back? And can, do you want me to just play music and sing along to the radio in the car instead? Or are you open to this conversation? Do you have the emotional bandwidth to discuss these things? I have to ask, and I have to be okay with the answer. And these are things that I have to relearn because I set the expectation they're younger. I ask a question, I, I expect an answer. And as an adult, I have a hard time with that. So it's insane to me to assume that my kids can handle and manage something that I can't manage. And I have to relearn how I do this with them. I have to not just allow them the space to give the answer, but give them the authority to respect that answer. So wonderful. Oh, yeah, that that definitely answered the question. And uh, again, such a wonderful illustration to go off of. Here's what I'm, I'm really enjoying about these conversations. What I hear Stephen talking about, what I hear Yessie talking about, this is all the same thing that every family 
has to go through. This, this it's not special because there's autism involved or cerebral palsy or any other special need. All these situations are what every family has to go through and every family is dealing with. And just because there was some dysfunctionalism in the very beginning or even, you know, somewhere at, at some point doesn't mean you can't change. You can't turn mm-hmm. it around. You can't heal and you can't fix. Uh, Stephen, would you like to add into that just a little bit so you can give your perspective on it? Well, definitely. So I know that we all have these expectations for kids and how we relate those to our kids on the spectrum is they're so rule governed. And so we teach them, you know, you have to follow the rules. But what we don't do is we don't extend them any grace. Mm-hmm. And so we don't like other children who are neurotypical or say sometimes they make a mistake or they have a behavior episode and it's forgiven. Right. But a child on the spectrum, it's like, oh, that we're going to have to put a behavior intervention plan in place. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need to target this behavior because it's not okay to shout out or so forth. I had a, a, my first client ever, you know, he graduated high school during the high school graduation. The kids are messing around, throwing beach balls, and he's sitting still. And I'm just in the, in the bleachers. I'm like, please, just do something. Come on, look at what the other kids are doing. But he's so robotic and so programmed to, you need to sit there, you need to follow the rules. And I think that sometimes is what we do is a disservice to our own children. Like sometimes we can have a little fun. Sometimes we can break the rules. I think that's so key. Like, so what I hear you guys saying, and I, I can attest to this. I remember my upbringing, same thing as you, Yessi. You know, parents ask you a question. You should respond right away. You don't. It's disrespectful. Um, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of these crazy expectations. And we just need to let each other breathe. And I love that word grace and grace needs to abound, you know, and our grace is flawed even because we kind of have our preset determinations on and set boundaries to grace, you know, and so that in itself is very suffocating and it inhibits the ability to create and for people to just be. Um, Yes, I'd love to hear your take on what is your favorite part of being a mom to kids with autism. They consistently teach me what I don't know because whatever it is that I would have expected in a neurotypical family does not apply here. And the moments when they've had meltdown, and meltdown is specifically when you cannot process what's going on and you shut down. And as adults, you might see that someone having a tantrum, throwing things, shutting down and just being silent. Your fight or flight, fawn or freeze response, they take over. That's when you know an adult is having one of those moments. Children, it looks like a tantrum. It looks just like a tantrum. You just can't tell the difference unless you know the child, quite honestly. They've taught me to be more sensitive to watching for their triggers, not as in this needs to not happen, but to pay attention to when they're close to setting that, which allows me to, to reflect on when have I reached my limit? When do I need to set my boundaries? And I think that's the most important thing for me, the most incredible thing for me, because learning their boundaries teaches me my boundaries. That's been a gift. There's so much that we can learn from each other. And I know we're all so different. And I think we overlook the similarities. I love that we're able to reflect And, you know, we're so quick to say, oh, that's what's wrong with that person. And when we talk about tantrums, I just had a major tantrum two weeks ago, you know, and 
but when other people do it, it's like, oh my God, they can't keep their, their stuff together. And oh my, look at them acting out, you know, and we go through these things. Well, the rules are different for everyone. And it's, right? it's very strange to me. I mean, let's analyze this just for a second. If you're in school, like elementary school, you're forced to raise your hand and speak. You're forced to ask to go to the restroom. Even if you have to go really, really bad, you have to ask. And some kids have accidents because the teacher right. didn't call on them soon enough. Now, same setting in school. You don't have to raise your hand to speak in, in college. You don't have to ask to go to the restroom in college or even as an adult. And so I think because we've done these strange rules for all of society at different stages in life, it creates these problems. So if you have someone that's on the spectrum, if you try to put them in those rules, which we can't even abide by, it's even more impossible. Steven, question the kid that you were looking at. Did they end up playing with a beach ball? He did not. Mm. He did not. It made me rethink myself as a clinician on, on mm. things that we have to teach. And these, these other social situations in which we're like, hey, sometimes it's fun to do this. But as clinicians, sometimes we don't plan for those things because we're so concerned at the moment and what the expectation is for that and generalizing to different environments. And so a curriculum that I like to use is the hidden curriculum. It teaches kids things that are not taught and so that you teach them how the expectations for certain environments from like an airport to a birthday party to the restroom, stuff like that. I wanted to add, um, this my experience with my own kids, it might not have been a social conditioning. It might have been a sensory and um, sensory integration dysfunction situation where being in that crowd at the graduation with so many people around them might have just been able to be at this level of let me function, not let me play. I, when my kids were little, I, I remember specifically walking them in a double stroller through the mall. And my, my middle son, who was the youngest at the time, had his hands over his ears, covering his head because there were too many sights and sounds walking through a mall. It could have been any number of reasons. So as much as, yes, I want my kids to be social and play, I need to understand they might just be trying to function. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. Here's my takeaway, guys. Yes, yeah, you mentioned the copy and paste feature. We have to remember as people, <laughs> clinicians, people working with each other, there is no such thing as a copy and paste because everyone's different. And we really need to take the time to open our eyes, open our hearts to our differences and understand, though, that there are still a lot of similarities that we can glean from, reflect on and just be better human beings to one another. That oh. is a great takeaway. But also the copy and paste is the find and replace because a lot of people ah. do that. And they don't individualize things. So you may copy and paste something, but also they take from a template and they do find and replace. And that has to go out the window as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Copy, paste, find, replace, out the window, click on the new button, right? New document, <laughs> new form, whatever that is. And um, if you're like, Absolutely. yes, see, write a book in a month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? Like, who does that? <laughs> it's all mindset. <laughs> it's all mindset. Oh, I love mindset. Yes, see, we're going to have to bring you back for a mindset conversation. But man, I hope you guys have had a blast with us. I hope it's opened your eyes, opened your minds to the possibilities. And you know us that take the elevator. We say look up and let's elevate. 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 Hey. <laughs> Every day.